Welcome to the SJ Child Show, where a little bit of knowledge can turn fear into understanding. Enjoy the show. Hello, SJ Child's friends and family. Thank you so much for stopping in to listen today. I want to give a shout out to some podcasting friends of mine. First, I want to give a shout out to Helen Edwards. Helen has a podcast called Sexy Freedom Media Podcast. She's also an author and she is um, a co-host with January. January and Helen run the podcast. It is amazing. Go check it out. Sexy Freedom Media Podcast. Give a shout out to Tamara McDuff. Tamara is one of my mentors. She was someone who I was able to gain experience by being on her radio show, which is called Rethinking Business, Success, Sauce, and Two Pickles, and ROC Voices. Go check them out today. I want to give a shout out to Sam Mitchell, who hosts the podcast Autism Rocks and Rolls. Sam is an incredible autistic guy that started his own podcast when he was in high school and has been so successful on his journey. I'm so excited for those of you who go and support and check him out. Well, that's all for today. Thanks so much for stopping in. And if you want to shout out, either email me at sjchildshow at gmail.com or leave me a message on one of my social media. Hi, and thank you so much for joining the SJ Child Show today. Today, I have a guest, Sane Landon, and I hope I pronounced all that right. I didn't ask you how I'm very phonetic, so hopefully <laughs> it was all well, but uh, it's so nice to have you on today. I'm looking forward to our conversation, learning about you and your story and Tell us um, a little bit about yourself and why you're here today. Of course. Well, thank you again for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. And yes, you pronounce my name correctly. Yay! <laughs> How would I describe myself? What is my story? I mean, I'm 24 years old. I just moved from California to D.C. to pursue a new job working for National Geographic Society, doing internal communications work as a, you know, as a specialist. Wow. And I gravitated towards the communications, marketing, public relations world because I thought that that's a great tool and support to bring people together and kind of facilitate community. I think a lot of people look at PR as just finding people press opportunities, but it's more than that. It's getting your message out there. It's building your network. It's building connections. It's bringing in revenue. It's a lot of different things. So I think that public relations is important. If you're starting off with almost anything, with any kind of message, any brand, any business, and it's not something that should be taken lightly. I think everyone should take an interest in, in it. And I also tell people that a lot of people are kind of scared of press, though, not necessarily of getting press, but putting themselves out there. And I think that's how you organically build connections and meet new people and bring in people into your organization or whatever it is when you organically have those conversations. So as you can tell, I really do love public relations work. But what's funny is that's a lot of external and I'm doing a lot of internal communications at my job. So I'm not really doing PR work, but I do have a PR business on the side where I support different clients, specifically mental health, because 
lot of my story is driven by my mental health experience. I am, I describe myself as a mental health advocate. I experienced mental health from a very young age to the point where I was four or five. And it wasn't really mental health like everyone experiences because everyone has mental health, just like everyone has physical health. But, you know, I experienced intense anger, anxiety, depression, an issue with socializing with other kids. I had to learn how to do that from professionals. I saw a psychologist, I had a counselor, I had tutors, and not just from the mental health, but being neurodiverse. So there was a lot of different things going on, but that is kind of the bulk of my story growing up. And then my other identities that I'm you know, really passionate about, I'm Hispanic. I have, again, mental health, queer, and I'm disabled because of mental health and neurodiversity. But yeah, so those are how I would describe myself. Oh, it's so nice to have you here today. And, you know, on my show, I'm not sure if you were able to check any of it out and don't feel bad. Don't worry about having to go back in there or anything like that. But there's a lot of, um, in my family personally, uh, a lot of autism. We, uh, I'm autistic, um, my husband and our two kids. Um, and we discovered, of course, through them and our just our journey of learning and really educating ourselves and understanding what it was like to support everybody's needs where they were at and not in a whole, you know, cup of whatever, right? And really just breaking it down for what does, and it's interesting, I'm not sure, you know, how what how you grew up or if you have siblings or anything I'm an only child and so having kids of my own now that are siblings it's so hard for me sometimes to say oh what's sibling rivalry or what's you know this and what does that look like and what's the relationship between them but um Mm -hmm. it also I think gives me almost a interesting perspective to be very individualized with them and to see them as very individual people um, and not just kind of clumped together as, you know, a whole or anything. So yeah, it's fascinating when we can, I love learning from other people's stories. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and moving across the United States, I mean, Good for you. Congratulations. That's incredible. Tell us kind of about your journey and, you know, what supports maybe you had or whatever you're comfortable with, what supports you had and maybe didn't have that you would say would be best for leading somebody into a profession that you are in today. I think one of the things that helped me the most moving into a profession that I didn't know too much about was making sure that I secured mentors Mm -hmm. because I don't know anyone in my personal life that was doing public relations or marketing or even communications. And a lot of my family um, didn't necessarily work in the professional world. They were professionals, but they were doing a lot of, um, you know, like labor-based jobs or they were doing things where they weren't high up in leadership roles, which is fine. I think that's, you know, it's great whatever that you need to do to support your family. Uh, Just just to say I wasn't around what professionalism was. And even coming into university, I was a first-generation student. So even the higher education academic world was a new endeavor for my family as well. So there's a lot of different dynamics that we had to definitely kind of look into and figure out how how it all was going to work. Yeah. (laughs) But I think what helped me the most was it was 
trying to remember, it was definitely during the pandemic and it was around fall of 2020. So the pandemic was like just starting. I remember having this fear in my head, like I don't have any mentors. I may have personal mentors at my university, but I'm going into a new major because that was basically when I changed my major, I believe. Um, so, and I changed it pretty late. I always tell people it's okay if you change late, as long as you are aligning yourself with what you really are passionate about, what you want to oh, do. Yeah. That's, that's what I, that's what I did. I'd rather graduate one or two years later and be on a path that I know is aligned with my goals than graduate in four years and not know what I'm doing for the next 10 years. Or, yeah. <laughs> or, or just feel kind of scattered with my life, right? Yeah, and so, so I think, yeah, I think sometimes you have these many sacrifices that feel like sacrifices, but they're really not actually. They're actually a, a good indicator of where you're supposed to be. I want to look at them as sacrifices because I think that's something that you kind of just have to do mm-hmm. um, for your growth. Anyways, so I remember just being lost. I was like, where do I start? I don't have any mentors. When I'm going to graduate in like one or two years, what am I gonna? How am I gonna find a job? I don't know anything about the professional world. I only knew so much. And again, a lot of people I was connected with all had jobs in higher education, and a lot of them came from higher education. They didn't really work outside of it, so they couldn't really speak on what you know outside professional life was like. And so I just kind of took it upon myself, like I'm gonna get mentors. That's my goal. And I think people will be surprised. Um, not for one, that there are people out there that are willing to help you. That's one thing that can surprise people. But two, look at your identities and your other representation and use that as inspiration. Mm. And so when you look at it and you go, I don't have any mentors. I'm the only Hispanic. I'm the only queer person here. Like, I'm hopeless here. I'm like, no, you're not, actually. <laughs> There's a good chance you're going to probably align with someone. Maybe not entirely. Because yeah. I have yet to find someone who's doing communications work that's Hispanic, disabled, and queer. And that's a lot to ask someone. Oh, to honey, I can't wait to hook you up. I'm like, am I your PR person? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's funny. Yeah, so um, that's that's kind of like my thought process is, you know, it can feel like a detriment that you have certain identities that feel underrepresented. But I think that we're living in a world where people are definitely noticing the value of carrying those diverse identities and how much those people who have these diverse identities can actually help an organization grow. And not just that, but to bring this kind of authenticity to an organization. Uh, so I just found different organizations that cater to students at the time when I was a student, like me, that was first gen, or if it was being Hispanic, if it was being queer, whatever it was, yeah. and or neurodiverse. And there were just so many mentoring programs. I think people will be surprised how many programs and organizations are out there that are willing to help you. You just kind of have to be the, you have to be that person to take the first step and say, I need the support. I'm going to ask. And sometimes there's nothing wrong with you in asking. Let's say you find an organization that you absolutely love. There's no mentorship opportunities. And you reach out to the outreach person and you just say, I would love to get more involved. Is there anyone I could shadow? Anyone that can mentor me? Anyone that could tell me about their career? I I think you'd be surprised how many people would respond to you and say, yeah, actually, let's have a coffee chat or you can um, or there's someone else I think that you can talk to. And if it's not in that organization, they might know someone. Mm. And this is not guaranteed just because you reach out doesn't mean they're going to say yes. But it's always such a surprise when a lot of people do say yes. And if mm. and if you don't get a response, you get a no from someone. Don't take it personal. They have things yeah. in their own life. Maybe they're busy. 
just move on to another organization or reach out to someone else. And so I got so many mentors from like Dell, from Twitter, from Meta, because there were so, so many. Cool. Pro- yeah, because there were so many programs. And one of them that I loved was the, I don't know if you've heard of the organization Disability In. It's a great organization that works with companies and making sure that these companies, of course, are going to be disability inclusive, making sure that making sure that um, employees are receiving accommodations, making sure that um, they're thinking about accommodations, they're thinking about accessibility, they're thinking about how to create a space for people with disabilities or people who are neurodiverse, whatever it is. And so they have like a a next-gen mentorship program. And so I applied, I got in and I got matched up with someone who works at Meta and they're doing like program management. Oh, that's cool. And accessibility too. So it was very interesting because at the time I wanted to go into accessibility work. Who knows if I still want to right now, I'm focusing Mm -hmm. on the communications aspect, but she's really fascinating. We connect on so many different levels, not just the mentorship, but her personal life, mm-hmm. uh, the trips that she goes on. And so I think that that is when mentorship is really rewarding. When it when it doesn't necessarily morph into a friendship, like your best friends, but it morphs into something more than just it's a mentorship and we're both getting something out of it. Yeah. No, we're, we're not just getting something out of it. We're this, These exchanges are actually meaningful to each other. And I love every time I get to talk to these mentors. I've been connected to them for like two to three years almost. Because even when the mentorship was over, I was like, no, 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 I really like you. I still want to stay connected. And I think that, you know, we align really well and I want to keep talking. And they're totally willing to do that. And so I meet with them once a month, basically. We meet for a half an hour and we both connect on what we're working on. And even I see their transitions where they're changing jobs or they're going into new roles or new companies. And they're like, I'm experiencing imposter syndrome again. I'm experiencing a new environment. I didn't know what it was like because I was at this company for so long and hearing that I'm just like that's what I'm feeling going into a new career so it's 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 interesting to hear that you know imposter syndrome and like professional anxiety doesn't stop when you're like high up even CEOs are going to experience imposter syndrome which I think people forget that imposter syndrome is not some sort of lights and not sort of switch that goes off and on it's a continuum that's you're always being impacted by even if you're a CEO and you're looked up to by millions I'm sure even when you go on that stage to speak, you still have imposter syndrome. It's something I think we all live with all the time. It just, yeah. I think it, get, it gets a little easier to deal with, but I think we always still have it. Yeah. Well, I, I hope so. And it's, it, 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 it almost holds a balance for a person, right? It gives them that little bit of balance, not to tip over the scales and be too, uh, too ego, but to also hold back and yeah. not, and be humble, but also to realize that, we're all human and we all deserve a space and we deserve to be heard and seen and have dignity and respect. And I love that. I'm going to check that disability and definitely going to check that out. I think that it's so important for workplaces to start to um, really be cognizant of their workers of the people that's come that are coming into employment that the the young people that are uh you know what kind of programs are they putting into place for for everyone necessary and i think it's so important that they start to do that um across the board and it that it's normalized it's just out of compassion right instead of out of uh kind of necessity right yeah. 
No, when I see programs, what I love is when I see programs that are targeting neurodiverse candidates or specifically candidates with autism. Yeah. And you hope that these companies have good intentions that we want to hire people with autism because they bring something valuable to the workforce and not let's flow quota. And I think sometimes sometimes you'll see that and I think you'll get a good indication of like when you interview and what the culture's like. I think that's something to take into account. And I I understand and I can't really speak on people's experiences, but I don't think people should settle. I understand for people with autism, it may be hard for them to get a job because how they're perceived. But if they get a job and they're already being treated less than, I understand it feels so great to have a job, but they deserve more than that. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people need to tell them, you should probably, maybe shouldn't take this job. I know it's a great opportunity, but if you're already being treated less than, you're already not experiencing quality or equity, that's a huge problem already. And you're not even in the company really yet. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's really important. I think that. Um, for individuals or maybe for caregivers of individuals to really do research on the companies that you are going to apply for or, you know, provide um, services because there are great companies out there that will provide the right accommodations. And then there are the ones, like you said, who are filling the slots and, um, making sure that, you know, I guess seeing the employee health really, I think is probably important. Maybe go visit, see what the, you know, the environment is set up to be like, and uh, really get a good idea. I have a a great person I met over this last summer. I did a summit, um, an autism safety summit. And Mm -hmm. in that you just reminded me of this. um, uh, It was a drone operator, basically, she goes and she does um, accessibility previews for companies so that anybody can say, hey, I want to go to this movie theater. What does their bathroom stalls look like for accessibility? What is their, um, you know, just anything? How close is the hand drying machine to the sink? I don't know what kind of ideas, you know, some people might need, but it's so neat the ideas that our society is now coming up with that that is so important that we have the availability to say well um you know my son personally luckily not anymore but when he was really young was an eloper and he would run that once the car door opened zoink, that was you know it was on his feet and that was that he was moving and Parking lots were so, so scary. It was terrifying. And to have the ability to get on and say, okay, where are the accessibility parking spaces or whatever? Um, so helpful for, for these, our society to be really, you know, coming up with these ideas. So, yeah. Is, are you finding within your company that you're finding the right accommodations? I haven't necessarily requested accommodations. I don't think I'm going to need like physical accommodations, but I need the understanding that maybe I need extended deadlines on things. Sometimes with my mental health, I get overwhelmed. So as long as that transparency is there and I'm receiving an understanding that I think is okay, that I'm not going to be like requesting exactly accommodations that I need. Um, but no, but people right away have been very open about it and very helpful if I do need to request them. And I think what you're, what you're getting that's really important with, I love that accessibility is becoming more 
prevalent. I'm not going to say, I was almost going to say relevant, but it's not relevant. And what I mean is it's always been relevant. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I love that accessibility has become more prevalent as if there's more jobs now, there's more opportunities for accessibility work. And I think that also for the longest time people, and I think some people still do hold the assumption that when it comes to accessibility, you look at web accessibility and physical accessibility. I'm like, beauty accessibility in literally almost every avenue of a company. When you look at operations, when you look at communications, when you look at social media, almost every single aspect of a company that builds a company needs some sort of form of accessibility. Mm-hmm. And I think when we have more of a breadth of accessibility like that and we see it that way, we're going to get more of a, a holistic change, I think, is a, in a good way, rather than just looking at accessibility being physical or digital. There's a lot more that we can do with it. There's like a whole realm that we can go into with accessibility so i'm glad that the like the accessibility profession is growing every day i see yeah absolutely one it sounds like you really have been able to find kind of your place and and you know growing your message and and becoming on podcast to share your story um it's really great to be able to take the ideas and like you said, make the connections. I'm excited to make a connection for you that I think will be fantastic and just maybe keep in touch with you to find out what's happening in the future and, and what any future plans are or anything. Are you authoring a book or anything soon? Well, definitely. Uh, yeah. Any good plans for you? I mean, you just got to Washington, D.C. I mean, are you doing any good, like, you know, taking in the sites and stuff? The answer is no. And the reason why is because when I got here, I did get pretty sick. And so um, I was sick for almost, almost a whole week. Uh, I'm, I'm not sick now, but I still have snuffles a little bit. <laughs> but I did get sick. So I think that people are traveling, looking to travel illness because travel illness is a real thing and it makes sense because you're moving into a whole new territory. So you don't know how your body's going to react. So I knew I was going to get sick. I didn't know to the extent how sick I was going to get. <laughs> um, and thankfully it wasn't COVID. And yes. so um, so through all that, I haven't been able to kind of side see, but I'm going to be going out tomorrow because I'm actually going to be going in person to the National Geographic, uh, they call it Base Camp, which is their headquarters. So finally working in person because I didn't work last week in person because, of course, I was sick and I was settling. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Other things that I'm working on, I'm on, I'm on boards for several organizations. Love is Respect, which is about um, teen violence and domestic violence and abuse. And then Eye to Eye, which is, Eye to Eye is a really cool organization. I actually would recommend looking into it. They support neurodiversity and so they help students in college and university and k-12 if they need peer mentors if they need support or if they need advocacy help uh and then let's see i'm on the young leadership council for best buddies i've been involved in best buddies since i was in high school i love best buddies and then lastly i am on the youth board for national alliance on mental illness which is not me, which they're a big mental health organization. So I'm very excited to be on their next gen wow. youth board because I think that was a pretty competitive process. And everybody, a lot of people know what NAMI stands for. Oh wow, that's incredible. Congratulations on 
on all of that. It sounds like you're going to be busy. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'm glad you're feeling better too, that that's good to hear. Well, it's been such a pleasure to get to know you today and I hope that we can stay in touch. Thank you again so much for having me on. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. We'll definitely talk soon.